Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Community farms, mud spas, mineral paints, nematodes, the world is waking up to the beauty and mystery of dirt. There's a new anthology out. It's called Dirt, a Love Story. 36 Riders Get Down to Earth. It's edited by Barbara Richardson. She joins us in studio. One of the writers featured is Jana Richman. She is in studio with me as well. And we're going to tell... Uh, the dirt's exuberant tales today. In fact, uh, Barbara Richardson uh, says we uh, sometimes look to the heavens. We should be looking to the dirt underneath our feet. We'll talk about all of this on the program today. We welcome in Barbara Richardson, who uh, says that dirt inspires me. Utah history does too. This is from her website. My novel tributary based on stories from my Mormon ancestors follows the lives of a ragtag group of 19th century mavericks who settle in the northern Utah desert. And uh, she is uh, just edited two anthologies, the one we're talking about today, and the other one is I Am With You, Love Letters to Cancer Patients. Uh, Barbara Richardson lives in Camas and joins us in studio. Thanks for coming up. Thank you so much for having me. It's an interesting anthology. We wanted to talk all about it and some great writers that you got here. Oh, it was when I started beating the bushes for people who love dirt, they just kept leaping up and saying, sure, what's the deadline? How many pages will you give me? So it was a, it was delightful to me to see yeah. how many people are motivated by dirt. And maybe some surprising choices? Uh, Well, I tried. I have a green architect. I have a sculptor from the Southwest. I have a geomorphologist, um, a Sufi teacher. So yeah, it's quite a diverse group of people. Yeah. We welcome uh, back to the program uh, Jenna Richman. Uh, Jenna Richman is author of a memoir, Riding in the Shadows of the Saints, a woman's story of motorcycling the Mormon Trail, and two novels, The Last Cowgirl, which won the 2009 Will Award for Contemporary Fiction, and The Ordinary Truth. And uh, she was born and raised in Utah's West Desert, the daughter of a small-time rancher and a hand-wringing Mormon mother. It's from your website, <laughs> uh, Jana Richmond. You live in Escalante. Yes. And thanks for coming up. Thank you for having us, Tom. Glad to be here again. Well, could I have you read the first paragraph from your, from your preface? Sure. For thousands of years, humans have looked to the heavens for inspiration and divinity. Looking to the heavens may be the greatest mistake we as humans have ever made. We project what we want onto the open skies, the blank, distant blue, whereas looking to the earth sends clear messages, intricacy, impermanence, solidity, interrelation, humility. You can't fool dirt, nor can you escape it. You can't manipulate meaning as you can from the mirror of an empty sky. Dirt anchors us all in reality, and so we need to remember and relearn the ongoing resonating divinity of dirt. As John Keats wrote, the poetry of the earth is never dead. Hmm. So I think both of you are, uh, for want of a better way to phrase this, you're into dirt. You're yes. into You're into the earth, <laughs> having the earth on your skin. Jenna Richmond, you write about sometimes you're never happier than when you're, you have dirt on your skin. Yeah, that's true. Um, my essay is based on, uh, 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 well, I'll tell you a little story about how the book kind of started. Um, Barbara and I were emailing back and forth, and she was lamenting that I don't really feel like writing. I just want to go out and dig in dirt. And I said, well, then write about dirt. And she said, oh. And I said, what I meant was, you know, take your journal, go sit in your garden and write a little bit about (laughs) dirt and then get back to your real writing. (laughs) And instead, what Barbara did was put together this remarkably beautiful, fabulous book um, but, but yeah, my essay is kind of based on the idea of I love the idea of digging in dirt and gardening, but I don't really love the reality of that. And so I started to write about that because I, 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 um, I kind of plant a garden every year. I'm not a very good gardener. 
And what I but what I really love is just being out in dirt. So really I'm a I I call myself a dirt wallower as opposed to a dirt digger. So mm-hmm. yeah. So what is what is Getting in the Dirt do for us, do you think? Oh, Barbara? my goodness gracious. The book isn't even long enough. We mm-hmm. need like seven seven additional books to say <laughs> because everyone I asked had a different take on it. But my sense is dirt's free. It's everywhere. And it's absolutely therapeutic and so beautiful that to me I've like formed the Church of Dirt. And this book is the Bible of Dirt. Okay. It's the first Bible of Dirt. Um, the fragrances, what it uh, generates for us to eat and enjoy, stepping out your door and smelling cottonwood leaves. It's all um, dirt's bounty and dirt's beauty. I even have dirt perfume. Um, dirt perfume? Yes. yes, it's wonderful by Demeter. So I even slather on dirt perfume on days when I can't yeah. go she out and She gave me a dig. bottle last night. <laughs> what, what is it? Uh, smell, it smells like dirt, I guess. Oh, what, just that, that lovely, earthy humus with a mm-hmm. little hint of sweet because most women wouldn't want to be going around smelling truly like dirt, although yeah. I do. Yeah. I was a landscape designer for 15 years, so I literally wore dirt yeah. professionally for 15 years. Uh, here's uh, something from the, I think this is from the forward. Pam Houston, by the way, wrote the forward. Um, she quotes uh, Kayan Short, mm-hmm. how, how you pronounce that. Um, and this anonymous quotation uh, that Kayan Short found in her yearly seed catalog, very appropriate. Humans, despite their artistic pretensions, their sophistication, their many accomplishments, owe their existence to a six-inch layer of topsoil and the fact that it rains. Love mm-hmm. it. That's profound, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yes, yeah. love it. Now, not all, not all dirt's alike. You have, you know, rich... Rich earth that you you know maybe Midwest, United States, and uh, Jana, you describe some dirt that's uh, in the desert, right? Packed down uh, <laughs> and uh, t- not very me, friendly dirt. T- tell me about your dirt. Um, well, it, uh, that's part of what I um, that's part of my trouble with gardening is that my dirt is hard packed clay in the back of my in my backyard. And everyone says to me, you should bring in great new topsoil. And I just think, no, I I like my dirt. I'm happy with my dirt. I'm going to go with this dirt, even though it, (laughs) and it produces, it's just, it's, um, and, and, but mostly I love being out, you know, I live very close to Escalante Grand Staircase National Monument. Uh, I love being out in the sand. Barbara and I did a reading at King's English in Salt Lake, and we each brought our own dirt. So I brought um, all beautiful, deep red sands from um, the monument and white sand, and she brought her dark, rich, deep dirt from Camas. Mm-hmm. And um, and we painted murals. And we played in dirt. <laughs> is this, uh, is, so is this that dirt that I'm seeing on the website here? Dirt, a love story.com? Um, you, uh, those dirts are actually, they're Utah dirts. My friend Tom dirts. Bunn took those photos. So they're somewhere in Utah. I haven't asked him about each shot. Okay. Okay. Yeah. okay. Um, so the, these pictures, and our listeners can go to uh, dirtalovestory.com and um, j- click on the real dirt. Um, and so d- during your reading, you have... At least, at least you guys have your feet in dirt. I guess people could come and put their feet in dirt. The launch was in Camas, my sweet little town. And um, Jana was a very good sport, and so was the owner of the Artique Boutique. And so we made big troughs full of dry dirt from my beautiful garden and mud, solid mud. And people who were willing, including Jana and I, took their uh, shoes off, dunked our feet in the mud, and wore brown boots for the whole reading. One of the essays in here is about a farmer's daughter, Jeannie Rogers, who says she walked around wearing brown boots all summer long. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that was a tribute to to her. Tell me about yeah. Jeannie Rogers. Tell me more about her. 
She uh, right now lives in Ashland, but she was raised on a farm with, I think her father ranched, I can't remember how many acres, 40 acres, 50 acres. And um, her essay is delightful about riding all over the farm on her bicycle um, with mercurochrome and Band-Aids getting all patched up. And basically she is questioning that dirt takes us in the end when we die. And when she, as a girl, witnesses her grandma buried she writes off dirt for the rest of her life. And then the essay is how she makes a reconciliation with the beauty and the mm. wonder of dirt. I was thinking about that. There's a, there's a passage in Pam Houston's Forward where she talks about this, this land she purchased, 120 acres in southeastern Colorado. Um, 7% down, and the, the, the owner took a chance on her. <laughs> and she paid for it all with her writing, right, and, and teaching. Um, but there, there's, there's graves there. Yes. The, the original homesteader and, uh, uh, I guess, a woman and child. Yes, I, that's a beautiful passage that I thought I might read. I, I, I'll yes. have to search uh, for you, oh, uh, Yes, yeah, uh, oh, search gorgeous. for that. Um, so the, the, the woman and child, I guess, didn't, uh, didn't make it through that first winter. And so she, uh, Pam Houston, signed documents saying that the, the descendants of these people could come in perpetuity and—, and uh, and pay their respects. Let me just read this passage from Pam Houston. Uh, This is a separate passage. She says, What I learned first and best, and will continue to learn forever, from my 100 acres of dirt in a high mountain meadow, is that ground, like all the best things in life, gives itself up slowly. That in my 22 years here and counting, always counting, I have only scratched the surface of all the things there are to learn. And that's the magnificent, one of the millions of magnificent things about dirt, that it is a slow slow teacher. So if you go outside and put your belly on the dirt and just relax and smell whatever there is to smell and just be there, the the exquisite slowness of the universe just opens right up to you. I know that sounds cosmic, but it's not. It's just as simple as putting your stomach on the dirt. um, And it's there every time. So Mm -hmm. we feel plagued by too much screen time and too much speed. And really, if you just go out and connect with dirt, that's all going to be erased in a heartbeat. One of, one of the things that, that, that came up when we um, had the, the, uh, the possibility for people to put their feet in the mud and, and walk in the dirt in Camas was people started to talk about their childhood experiences of wallowing in dirt. Of you know, One woman talked about how she loved going in the pig pen. Oh, yeah. That, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that she spent her childhood um, kind of wallowing where the pigs wallowed and, and how great that felt. And another guy talked about every time he went on a river trip, his favorite thing to do is to find the mud banks along the rivers and kind of, you know, strip down and wallow in those mud banks. And so these stories come out over and over again as we go to the readings. Mm-hmm. And people uh, tentatively step up to play in the dirt, and then pretty soon it's, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. all over yeah. the place. Yeah, and that's that is getting back to childhood, isn't it? We, I think we all, I, I'm pretty sure, all of us would have played in the dirt. Yes, it's, yeah. it's open ended, and that's what kids need, and that's what I think adults need too. Mm-hmm. Not a focused digital experience, but just open ended ex- beauty, things exploding out of the earth and showering over your head. And yeah, it's just it's connection mm-hmm. and humility. And that's sometimes we forget that, don't we, when we become adults? Uh, Johnny, you, I wonder if you tell the story about the. Uh, Stuffed giraffe. <laughs> sure. Uh, so in my essay, I talk about how uh, as a child, there was a ditch that ran be- behind our house, and we played in that ditch a lot. And And uh, I don't think our parents were not as nervous about children floating away down the ditch as we are now. And um, 
and it was kind of these clay mud banks and and what one day we decided a friend of mine and I decided that we wanted to just slather ourselves in mud but we knew we'd be in big trouble for that so instead we had this big stuffed giraffe and we thought well we'll just slather this big giraffe in in mud and I don't know why we thought that would bring on less um, irritation from our mothers but it, it brought on quite a bit but it was one of my first experiences of really and, and and my experience with dirt is this physical visceral I don't know a lot about the science of it I don't know a lot about farming so my experience with dirt is just this kind of spiritual being next to it and what it does to us and what it means. And I think that's what every child feels. In my essay, I also mentioned um, Joseph Chilton Pierce's work, and he talks about how the second um, thing, that it, the, the second, the, the mother is the first bonding matrix for a child, and the second is the earth. Mm-hmm. And that if the child doesn't do that, if the child misses that, bonding matrix with the earth, which I'm afraid a lot of children now do, um, that child, it it has a big effect on that child and that child's creativity and the way that child thinks as he or she grows up. Mm -hmm. Because they've lost a mother. Right. What what are their mothers? Uh, so I was thinking about this. Um, maybe have you read this passage from from, from Pam? Houston? Yes. Yeah. And then, then I want to talk about this. It's an artificial barrier, I think, that we that we create, and maybe more and more mm-hmm. we're creating these these barriers between us and and the earth. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and read that. When this 120 acres got entrusted to me, I had no idea what was under the dirt: sandstone, feldspar, gypsum, granite, and traces of copper and amethyst, silver and gold. Also under the dirt is the homesteader, Robert Pinkley, who filed the original mineral claim and who walked upon it longer than anyone. He is buried in a family plot at the top of the hill overlooking the barn, along with a woman and child, neither of whom made it through the first brutal winter of 1912. But only Robert's grave is marked with a proper stone. Upon closing, I signed a piece of paper that said their descendants could come in perpetuity any time they wanted to tend the graves. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, so there's this gentleman and, and the, the two other people there, their graves. And what, what occurred to me, I'm, you know, thinking about even the, the way we get buried these days, <gasps> you know. Janna and I were just talking about that <laughs> when yesterday. When we visited my mother's we, grave. Yes. We, we get embalmed. We get in a, uh, you know, metal casket. And it's and almost like And not just we're... a metal casket, Tom. Let me interrupt you okay. right there. <laughs> so Jan and I both lost our mothers within the last few years. Mm-hmm. recently mm-hmm. and when they bury them in utah and i am checking this out because i know why i'm going into this little thing there's a an enormous white sort of popcorn looking cement what do you call it that's a right crypt that the that the casket goes in the crypt mm-hmm. and like a worm wouldn't have a chance which and i think it's required you have to have it is. Oh, it, so yeah. these are laws yes. please whoever is legal out there <laughs> these are laws that need to change because we got to get back to dirt we mm-hmm. got to give our gifts back to the soil yeah now there is a green burial movement, right? Yes, but the, but that movement runs up against uh, ordinances and laws. Sometimes. Evidently, so, that has yeah. not yet hit. <laughs> yeah, uh, I know. Bountiful I told Utah. Her. She was telling me that she wanted to be buried next to her mother, but she said, but, but but they put her in this big concrete, and I said, yeah, that's required because mm-hmm. when we buried my mother in the Paradise um, Cemetery out here. I said, they said, okay, here's what you're going to need. And I said, oh, I don't need that. I don't mm. need the concrete thing. And they said, oh, yes, you do. Right, right, required. Yeah. So this is, this is a barrier. You know, in, in death, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, we're fighting against dust to dust. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
And there yeah. are honestly so many beautiful essays um, that talk about exactly about that mm-hmm. and, and how people are squeamish. And like uh, I think Liz Stevens says, no one's too far from the image of a worm crawling out of an eye socket in a skull, you know, which makes us squeamish. But again, her essay and many of the others talk about a gradual, because of interacting with dirt and the appreciation of the natural world, that you actually come to want to be a part of the earth and mm-hmm. to be blown around again and again and again and to stay here eternally as part of the landscape. Mm-hmm. So this is, is cultural then. We've, we've you know, sure. we want to separate ourselves yeah. from from the earth. Well, and I think we want to separate ourselves from that idea of death. It's, it's, right, it's sure. not grandma in the parlor anymore. It's it's kind of separated. It's out at the funeral home. and. But the magnificent news that dirt offers without words, which is just absolutely a miracle to me, is that it's all okay. We're, we, you can't be lost. You You can't get i mean death is life is death is life so trying to separate yourself is a neurosis that's mm-hmm. my thought and being um part of this whole beautiful crazy odd spectrum of decay and growth is is a very very lovely thing and mm-hmm. besides whether it's lovely or not we're stuck with this right. so this yeah, is what we have to welcome and appreciate <laughs> yeah yeah let's take a break when we come back more with uh, barbara richardson and jenna richmond uh, barbara richardson is uh, editor of uh, this uh, new anthology. It's called Dirt, A Love Story. 36 writers get down to earth. And uh, it covers everything from community farms to mud spas to mineral paints to nematodes. There's science here and there's, uh, uh, there's uh, you could call it theology, right? Yes. Maybe theology mm-hmm. of dirt um, and much more. And uh, after the break, we'll hear uh, Jenna Richmond read uh, a passage from her essay. That's following the break. This is Management Minute by Professor Scott Hammond. Westfield, Massachusetts is known as Whip City because 120 years ago, 40 companies made buggy whips, tools, and carriage parts. Today, only Westfield whip manufacturing remains. Harvard Business School professor Theodore Levitt gave sound advice to businesses facing change. Back in 1960, he said businesses should concentrate on their customers' needs not on specific products. If buggy whip makers had thought of their businesses as transportation accessories, they might have survived into the automobile era. There were 13,000 businesses in wagon and carriage parts in 1890. Today, less than 1% of those businesses still exist. But that 1% exists because they listen to their customers. The Management Minute is brought to you by our members and the USU Shingo MBA program at the John M. Huntsman School of Business, a 15-month graduate degree for executives giving knowledge and skills to leverage the principles and tools of lean continuous improvement. Huntsman.usu.edu The following is an encore presentation of Access Utah. However, you can still participate in this conversation at upraccess at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Uh, Community farms, mud spas, mineral paints, nematodes. The world is waking up to the beauty and mystery of dirt. So say the publishers of a new anthology, Dirt, A Love Story. Uh, Barbara Richardson enlisted 36 writers to get down to the earth. It's everything from science to theology uh, to uh, just personal experience. And uh, Barbara Richardson is here with me in studio. 
And one of the writers here is uh, Jana Richman, and she joins me in the studio as well. You're welcome to join this conversation. I'd love to know about your dirt, your patch of dirt. Um, what, what do you think about what we've been talking about here? You can reach us by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. And while you're listening here, you can go to the website, dirtalovestory.com, and um, there's some great pictures here, including, I, I love this, this is uh, pictures of the feet of my guests here, Barbara Richardson <laughs> and Jenna Richmond, uh, and they're, they're dirty with dirt. You've, you've, you've stuck your feet in, in the mud. So, Jenna Richmond, I wonder if you would read a bit from your essay. Sure. On my 50th birthday, my husband and I hiked to Boucher Creek at the west end of the Grand Canyon. The trail was harsh, the packs were heavy with extra water, and the temperature hovered around 110 degrees, even though we had set out at 4 a.m. In the ranger's office the day before, we had been appraised under doubtful eyebrows, received a reluctant nod of approval, and were told we were on our own. Boucher Creek was difficult to reach, no other campers would be there, and no rangers would be coming to check on us. In other words, perfect conditions. The ranger warned us to be off the Tonto Plateau, referred to as the death zone, before 10 a.m., and we took his advice seriously. At 10.15, we dropped into Boucher Creek, hot, dehydrated, and exhausted, stripped our bodies of packs and clothing, and lay on our backs on a flat rock in the creek, the tops of our heads used as a sort of stop log to divert water around us. For the next few days, we lived as close to the earth as modern humans from an unnatural civilization can live. We wore only a pair of sandals, sprawled in dirt, rinsed under waterfalls, swam in pools, and dried out on rocks. Unless submerged in water, we were never without dirt on our skin. We pressed our bodies together often, finding pleasure in the grit and heat between us. Four days later, when it came time to hike out, we reclothed ourselves in the items we had worn in. Nylon shorts and lightweight, sweat-wicking shirts felt heavy and restrictive, even silly. We spoke little on the hike out, silenced by the sanctity of the experience and the sadness of its rarity. I felt as, the, I felt as if I came out of Boucher Creek in a stronger body, but it had nothing to do with physical strength. A more accurate description, I came out of Boucher Creek more strongly embodied. That's quite the experience, and it, it's, it's one that maybe not everyone would, would want to do, you know, out, out there, but, but, it, but it did something for you. You feel more strongly embodied. What, what do you mean by that? Yeah, and, and I feel that way every time I have an experience like that. And um, Colin Fletcher wrote about this in his uh, book, um, A Walk Through Time, I think it, it's called it, where he talks about walking through the Grand Canyon. And as he walked through the Grand Canyon, you know, all, everything he had with him, his packs and his clothing and his shoes and everything started to feel more of a burden than, uh, than a, a contribution. And... I feel that way. I, we, we also did a walk, a very long walk, a 50-mile walk through Perea Canyon, and I felt very much the same way. It's that, it's that interaction with the elements of the earth that, that made me feel that way, that, that placed me in my physical body and placed my physical body on the earth and helped me understand the relationship. Hmm. Barbara Richardson, it occurs to me, and we've made reference to this uh, a couple times earlier in the program, 
that pressures of the world today in our digital world are taking us out of our bodies. You know, you're playing a video game or you're, you know, you're Skyping with somebody. It's, um, these are wonderful technological advances. Um, but you're out of your body. You're not, you know, it's not a, it's an experience that doesn't pull you uh, to feel more strong than body, as Janice just said. We're kind of brainiacs, and it's a painful place to be a lot of the time. I spend my whole day writing and editing at a computer screen, but by golly, any second I can, I dive out my front door and go dig in the dirt or pull weeds or roll with the cats. Cats are wonderful gardeners. They love to watch everything you're doing. So any time and any chance I have to walk the dog and hike through the creek and get muddy, and I've actually tasted the dirt. This is the first time I've ever tasted the dirt on my property because I'm so in love with my dirt. And I've tasted it in all different quadrants, and I found it's just like dark chocolate with a hint of coffee, no mm. no sugar. Mm-hmm. And at the reading <laughs> at the King's English, an old co- high school friend of mine actually said, you've tasted your dirt? I said, yeah, I have a taste. So he <laughs> touched it to his tongue. He said, hmm. And I said, what do you taste? And he, he, he hesitated, and I said, I get chocolate and coffee. He said, I got chocolate <laughs> right off the bat. So, <laughs> Yeah, tasting. There. I wonder, by the way, Jenna, would you taste your dirt? I don't know. You, you, the way you describe it, it's kind of hard. I've and- tasted plenty of it, but not deliberately. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know, down yeah. there the wind blows a lot and it is in everything. And so yes. you, you just naturally eat a lot of dirt down there. You get the get the the dirt in the wind. Yes. That's, yeah. that's right. <laughs> so what do you, uh, let me ask you both of you, what, what do you get from that feeling of, I guess, embodiment and rolling with cats in the dirt and getting mud on you? What do you, what do you think you get from that? Big, beautiful silence, big, beautiful, open, creative silence. Um, which I, I mean, you can't pay for something that wonderful. Mm. I mean, I would build on what Barbara just said. It's, we're, we are all, um, every human being is a creative um, being, and it's really, really closely attached to creativity for me. And it feeds, um, it feeds my writing. It, it just, it's, it's freeing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's real. It's who we are. It's where we where we are supposed to be, and mm-hmm. you know we we encase ourselves in houses and climate control and, and clothing and clothing and all of these things that we think are protective. But what are they protecting us from exactly? Mm-hmm. The, that's interesting, Janet. This is so cool. This could be a whole new book because um, <laughs> the writer John Keeble, he's a brilliant, brilliant, intelligent man, and he. Um, his essay starts, he's, and he's so, he was my professor, so I am in awe of him, but his essay starts, he's four years old, and he has a stick, and he's just sitting in the dirt drawing circles with the stick, and he literally recalls that that moment of, of fusing dirt into different positions sparked the first moment of imagination that he had, and he, he literally um, brings that to the present day. When he wants to write a new novel or a new book, he walks in the dirt. He walks his land, he walks in the dirt, and he allows the dirt to spark things to come from nowhere, which is everywhere, but which is nowhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So maybe all, a lot yeah. of artists are getting yeah. their mojo from dirt. I, I seldom take a hike, and I hike a lot. I hike every weekend in in the monument, and I seldom take a hike where I don't at least remove boots and shoes mm-hmm. and walk in a clean run of sand across slick rock every opportunity I get. It's even in wintertime, it just feels necessary to be that close to the earth. Mm-hmm. 
We're talking, if you just joined us, with uh, Jana Richmond. You heard from her just there, and uh, Barbara Richardson. Barbara Richardson uh, is the editor of this new anthology, Dirt, A Love Story. 36 Riders Get Down to Earth, and uh, Jana Richmond has uh, a piece uh, in here. Uh, so I wonder, uh, not all of us are lucky enough to live in Escalante or Camas or and uh, you don't close need to the to. earth. You, don't, you can go out and, like, Stick your hands in your little potting soil in your in the pot on your patio. Truly, uh, I did a radio interview uh, on this green earth, and uh, the host was just ecstatic about the tomato that he had grown on his patio. I mean, <laughs> ecstatic. So literally, mm-hmm. on you don't even if you just step out your door and inhale. Well, I guess if you're in Chicago, it'd be well maybe in Chicago, but there's dirt everywhere. Karen Washington, one of the contributors, just won the James Beard Award uh, in 2014 for being a master, master gardener in the Bronx in old dilapidated leftover um, sites that she has transformed into magnificent gardens, started um, farmer's markets and et cetera. And um, Karen found dirt, you know, in New York City. So if she can find dirt and love it and cherish it, it's everywhere. And that's the beauty. It's so free. You literally just, you can just go to a park. You can go to your own lawn. It doesn't have to be fancy because dirt is everywhere. And we are disrespecting it and reducing it. But um, in the end, dirt will win. I'm fairly certain. And I sometimes yeah. wonder if those of us who live in, in these areas take it take it for granted. Because I, I visited a friend of mine in Queens and we walked around and, and I was amazed at the number of kids out in just their little um, neighborhood parks, crawling under the trees, crawling mm. under the pine trees. I don't see kids doing that in my little town. Mm. And I wonder if we don't just take it for granted where we are and, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, I've got to go plant the field. I've got to go plant the garden and 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 see it more of as a, as a burden. But I was amazed at how many people were out there just crawling around in the dirt in Queens. Mm-hmm. Cool. Let me read a passage from uh, Karen Washington. This, as you say, she's in... New she's York in, City. in the Bronx, huh? Um, and she, she, uh, she said um, she made sure that not one drop reached uh, the ground. This is the uh, warm juices running down her chin and uh, arms from her, you know, the, the, the fruits of her, her labors, I think. She says, wow, what a taste. I had never experienced taste like that before. And I knew then I would never forget it. I was hooked, so hooked that I wanted to grow something, everything in sight. So I think this is just something she's gotten from the store. From collards to mangoes, but sadly found out that I could not grow tropical food in all uh, seasons, uh, all the seasons why. Still, it kept me exploring and trying out new vegetables as my palate longed for the nuances of taste such as bitter, sour, tart, aromatic, peppery, hot, and dirt. You see, she says, when touching the earth, I feel my heartbeat and the pulse of past generations. When I take a handful of dirt and smell how sweet it is, it takes me to a place of peacefulness. When I grow food and eat it, mm, it makes me feel good inside. And when I share my food with others, it makes me smile. So this is in New York City. You see why I love these people in this book. I mean, (laughs) they are just so genuine and so in their bodies. And we've all tasted a cardboard tomato and no one wants to eat those things and this was Karen's first tomato that she'd ever grown and she didn't know anything about gardening she thought she could grow papayas in New York City so mm. you don't have to be smart or clever dirt's pretty much there for you no matter how clever mm-hmm. you are or are not mm-hmm. yeah yeah yeah. Let's take another break. When we come back, uh, I want to hear a little bit about uh, science. There's a section on science uh, of dirt in, in the book. And uh, we'll read another couple of passages as well. I'm talking with uh, Jana Richmond, who has an essay featured in this book, and Barbara Richardson, who's editor. It's called Dirt, a Love Story. More following the break. 
Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible by our members and Utah Humanities, empowering Utahns to improve their communities through active engagement. Online at utahumanities.org. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Devour Utah, a bi-monthly magazine devoted to covering Utah's dining and drink scene with a spotlight on cooking, local happenings, and libations. Available at newsstands or online at devourutah.com. The following is an encore presentation of Access Utah. However, you can still participate in this conversation at upraccess at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm uh, Tom Williams. One of my guests today, Barbara Richardson, uh, writing in the preface to uh, the new book, Dirt, A Love Story, says, For thousands of years, humans have looked to the heavens for inspiration and divinity. But, uh, she says, we probably should have been looking down, looking to dirt, the dirt under our toes. Um, And uh, the new book, Dirt, A Love Story, is all about dirt. 36 writers get down to earth have with me in studio Barbara Richardson, who edited this uh, collection, and Jana Richman, uh, who has an essay featured. Um, by the way, there's a website, dirtalovestory.com, and you can see some great pictures here from a reading in Camus, uh, where the uh, my two guests have their feet in dirt, uh, something that they suggest that uh, may want to do. By the way, um, Barbara Richardson, there, there are suggestions all over from these writers of things we may want to do including get a shovel, just go out and turn a turn a shovel full. Or, you know, I guess, Janet Richmond, you'd encourage us to take off our shoes and go walking. I'd say read everything. the book in snippets so that you yeah. can spend most of your time out in the soil. That's right. what I'd take say. The bird, yes. Take the book out. You yeah. Can oh, yeah. Sit the in the dirt and read the book. <laughs> that would be good. Right. Uh, I guess it would have to be a, probably would need to be a, a um, remote place do what you and your husband did yes we 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 do although you you know uh, you don't have in where we live in Escalante and around the the monument you don't you don't need to get very far off the road to find yourself completely alone Mm -hmm. yeah so you you guys just took off all your clothes and and you were you were that way for several days yeah, we knew no one would come down there. We were the only people who had um, permission to go down there from the rangers. We knew no one was coming down there, and clothes just seemed unnecessary. Mm-hmm. At that point, it was hot, and yeah. there was water everywhere. And yeah, uh, you got dirty. That's a yeah. Uh, you say that's a good thing. That's a great thing. <laughs> had the soil on you. That's a great thing. Uh, so uh, one section in the book, Barbara Richardson, has to do with the science of uh, of dirt. Very little is known about dirt, and well, soil slash dirt, and um, scientists are just getting all revved up and excited about it because it's so unknown and there's so much to find out and they're so ignorant. And I think, unlike many people, scientists love to know that they're ignorant and that they can really open up a whole new world to us. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there are a lot of great science writers in here. Before I have you read this uh, passage, I want to read this uh, from, this is from uh, Pam Houston's Forward. Um, so she quotes David R. Montgomery his essay, Dirty Business. Mm -hmm. He says, Every nation's most strategic resource is the thin layer of rotten rock, dead plants and animals, and living microorganisms that blanket the planet. Yet we treat this natural capital like dirt instead of the frontier between the dead world of geology and the living world of biology, the living foundation for life on land. And David is an interesting, interesting... I I really... uh, 
enjoyed his essay. He's a geomorphologist who started out to study geology, and he became addicted to dirt. He fell in love with dirt. He wanted to know the stories that dirt had to tell because dirt was being dissed scientifically because, oh, it's just the top few inches. What you really want to know is the bedrock. Well, no, he's uh, become an expert in how civilizations rise and fall depending on how they treat their soil. Mm-hmm. He's written an entire book on it, Dirt, the Erosion of Civilizations, and it's just so beautiful to watch this hard scientist be tenderized by his experiences with dirt and going to ruins in um, South or Central America, I can't remember, and like walking up a hillside and having it strike him that he's not on a hillside. He's standing among the ruins of a city. He's standing on top of a city that has been reclaimed by dirt and transformed into a jungle. Mm. So yeah, it's good stuff. And even the words we use, and he, he uses it as kind of a funny way he uses it, we treat dirt like dirt. Right, right. You know. Oh, don't get me started uh, <laughs> on the dirt versus soil word debate. But it's in here. It's in yeah. here. Um, Kay Ann Short, the the organic farmer, she and her husband on their very first date were filling um, seed flats. And, and she said, oh, it feels so good to have my hands in dirt again. And he chastens her and says, call it soil. Right. And they're still married and very happily grooving uh, <laughs> on their 10 acres together. But yes, um, soil scientists have a very specific notion of what is dirt and what is soil. I hope this book breaks that down. Because yeah. to me, dirt is the parent material. You right. cannot have soil without dirt that got lucky. So, right. yeah. So what are you going to read for us here? Well, uh, Bernd Heinrich is a nationally renowned scientist and uh, actually a beautiful, beautiful writer. That's kind of why I uh, asked him to join the anthology. And I was surprised to learn that his first experience that, uh, well, I won't even tell you. I'll just read it. It's called The Life of Soil. It was black. I remember because at my age then, around eight years old and in early spring, it was the first time I had looked down to notice dirt. Our family was quartered in a one-room hut in a dark forest in northern Germany right after the war. Towering pines shaded the ground except for a small, clear patch up on a bank in front of the cabin. Light snow had recently covered the ground, and now after a warm spring rain, it had become black. And that made me notice something marvelous by our doorstep. Quite suddenly, maybe one day to the next, I saw a small patch of the dark dirt turning luminous green, and it was larger the next day, and then expanded in ribbons over the black ground from one day to the next. I was mesmerized by a rosette of laterally spreading grass blades that had made the dirt vibrant. This had been, as far as I can remember, my first moment of wonder. Mm. It is powerful. His first moment of wonder. Yeah. 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 I wanted to read uh, a couple of paragraphs from the end of the of that same essay uh, that struck me. Uh, so he quotes Henry Thoreau. Mm-hmm. The, all through the essay. All through the essay. And now he says, I'm turning to the other Henry, a main writer a century later near the arguable beginning of uh, industrial agriculture, who marks the end of dirt with its ancillary gratuities and the beginning of accounting by and to the dollar its immediate worth only. In his book, Northern Farm, Henry Beston reminds us, the shadow of any man is for a time cast upon the grass of any field. What remains is earth, the mother of life, end quote. He concludes, quote, when farming becomes only utilitarian, something perishes. Sometimes it is the human beings who practice this economy, and often, most of all, it is a destruction of both land and man, end quote. Then he concludes, as a fellow Mainer and a fellow human, United not by artificial or perceived boundaries, but linked together by our universal bonds to the soil of earth, the link that connects all of life, I grow beans for more than utilitarian purposes. My farming may be token, 
But like the blades of grass that first sparked my interest in living things, the activity is visceral and a vital reminder of the grandeur in our very existence. Yeah. It's beautiful. That's yep. beautiful. Yeah. Uh, I think, uh, Jenna Richmond, you have uh, have something you'd read for us here, uh, Marilyn uh, Creasel? Yes. I. One of the things that struck me, and her essay very much resonated with me because, again, it's a um, – it's just an instinctual feel. It's a, it's 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 not about the science. It's not about anything but um, uh, kind of the spirituality of of dirt. So I'll just read a short little passage of hers. Sentient beings, we wander the earth, drink the water, eat the fruit, sit on the ground. Knowledge of our ignorance brings us down to ground level. Ground level is human level sentient level. Sitting in the dirt without instruments, we are sentient creatures. Sitting in the dirt without instruments, we begin to see. We see might and sprout, feel heat and light. We hear wind and water. We pick up handfuls of dirt, we begin to wonder. Sentient, we notice we're here, in and of the universe. From this perspective, everything is as important as everything else. Sitting in the dirt, we are at last in a position to become philosophers. Finally, we understand deforestation hurts the forest. We know the granite upthrust registers the blast. That's, a, that's the uh, advantages that come from actually experiencing the Yes, and I think that's what, I mean, she, that's just a beautiful way to put into words um, my own experience of always wanting to be there in the dirt. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just kind of a natural instinct, I think, yeah. unless, we, unless we stop it. Mm-hmm. So you think that is natural? I do. So we, we sort mm-hmm. of, I guess, beat it out of ourselves or train it out of ourselves. Yeah, I mean, kids will always run to play in the dirt, right? right. Unless their mother stopped them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. and they true. often do that's but they will true. always head straight for the dirt they'll head mm-hmm. straight for the mud yeah. and, and their best cl- and church the adults should join them <laughs> <laughs> yes the adults should join them yeah for, yes. okay all right and i'm thinking of uh, pam houston on her 120 acres she said that uh the, the you know the the land has taught her things slowly mm-hmm. and so it's just by practical experience out on the land for example on a certain pasture uh, you, you can you can have six sheep and not eight. You know? I loved reading that. Oh my goodness, her beloved land is so sparsely populated with uh, food stuff that yes, she knows she can only have six, and she's learned that through hard experience. Mm-hmm. And the winter's coming. And going. Yeah, I yeah. think that's a lesson we haven't quite learned in the West yet mm-hmm. entirely. How how so? Well, I mean, uh, we don't want to get into the political grazing issues, but um, um, yeah, we. We live in the arid West, and we don't always acknowledge that. And And she learned it just by watching what happened when she put, you know, eight animals or eight sheep out on, out on the land instead of five in mm-hmm. a particular place. And um, by the time we started to understand that, I think um, when our grandfathers and great-great-grandfathers came from countries where the rain would always come and – uh, replenish the land. It was too late for us. We had kind of taken everything. We had we had taken it down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that the and uh, you know I don't want to get too political like you, but uh, yeah. <laughs> just to, just to mention here that uh, you know we talked about this a lot that we have large cities 
in the arid west. In the arid west. And it, Living t- on water piped in. Yeah, difficult to support the yeah. population we have here in the mm-hmm. arid west. I think that's going to come up to greet us very quickly as it is in California right now. Yeah. There's there's artificiality about that, right? That's mm-hmm. a, a, a one mm-hmm. theme we've been talking about here. Mm-hmm. We, we're coming down just to have a few minutes left. I wonder, Barbara Richardson, uh, we talked about the the last few bar- paragraphs in the in the whole anthology. Oh yes, so Atina Diffley is my new heroine. I have a lot of new dirt heroines and heroes. Um, she has a beautiful organic farm in Minnesota, and she the Cook brothers gave her a notice that they were going to run a pipeline right through the middle of all of her eighty acres. And she and uh, a lawyer literally drove the Koch brothers off her land, changed Minnesota law, have uh, organic soil protected, and now that has spread across the nation. So this woman is a firebrand, and I love her. But here's what she does when she needs to go out and analyze her soil. As a farmer, I've learned to read soil in its different forms and work with its seasons. I know in spring that clay will ball into hard clumps if we work it too wet, and we'll be stuck with those clumps the entire growing season. The only thing that will break them is winter's frost. I can squeeze a ball of moist soil and determine rough percentages of its mineral composition, clay, sand, and loam, what its nutrient and water-holding capacity is, and which crops will thrive or fail in it. If our crops have pests, or if discolored leaves reveal nutrient deficiencies, I sit bare-legged in the field, hands in the soil, feeling and listening, until I know what the soil is hungering for. Then we feed it with plants and the renewable energy of the sun, rather than reaching for a chemical pesticide or fertilizer. But I never expected soil would read me and analyze what I am made of, identify my character, and challenge me to give up my victim patterns and act as a soil sister in defense of this most essential element. The soil is our ancient guide and teacher. Long ago it was naked rock, time and water, sun and cold, broke the rock into stones and the stones into dust. For a very long time the earth sat aging, and then the life process started and living soil was created. Eating in the present is a relationship with the past. Our time here is so short, yet our impact is long. Our daily relationship with soil dictates our wellness and determines the future. Eat, relate, and advocate for the soil that feeds you. Hmm. It's wonderful. Nice. So she reads the soil. Oh, oh I sobbed when me. she sent me that essay. Then, I just, then she says that she didn't expect the soil to read her. Yeah, yeah. because it really, when, when she first heard from the Koch brothers, she ran out to her husband and said, you've got to fix this. And he mm-hmm. said, you know, he's like covered in tractor grease. And he said, no, honey, this is your battle. I'm busy. Mm-hmm. And so she literally defended all Minnesota soil from um, ex- exploitative use, and then that has spread all over the United mm-hmm. States. Yeah. Uh, we just have a couple minutes left. I'd, I'd like to uh, maybe hear from, from each of you, starting with, uh, with Barbara. Just uh, I'd, after we have this conversation and you're back on your home soil, mm-hmm. uh, how can we imagine you? What, what do you be doing? What, uh, what do you like to do? Well, I just bought a little tiny uh, farmhouse, a 500-square-foot farmhouse on a quarter of an acre. It was the quarter of an acre that I wanted. And I literally have to restrain myself from not digging sod. When I first moved in, I was digging like five, six, seven hours a day. And I just, I'm my body can't handle it anymore. I'm getting old. So now I've literally restricted myself to 15 minutes at a stretch. I will go out and work for 15 minutes, and then I'll go do a million other things, and then I'll come put in another 15 minutes. So... Mm-hmm. 
given any opportunity, I will be out there digging new beds. And I, I'm broke right now, so I don't even have money to put plants <laughs> in the dirt. I'm just getting the dirt ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jenna Richmond, what uh, what can we imagine you doing? Well, I'll, I'll look at my garden beds, which are very nice. And right now they're full of weeds. And I'll look at those and I'll think, oh, mm, I should really plant something. And then I'll go out for a hike and or a backpack <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and I'll wander, take shoes and boots off and wander in the desert and do that instead of mm-hmm. instead of digging in the dirt. Yeah. We reached the end of our time here. Jana Richman has been with us. She wrote an essay in this anthology, and uh, she lives in uh, Escalante. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for coming up. Thank you for having us, Tom. It's been wonderful. Barbara Richardson uh, edited the anthology. It's Dirt, a Love Story, and uh, she lives in Camas. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. It's a big pile of joy in that book. <laughs> and it's out from uh, University Press of New England, and uh, a lot of a lot of good stuff in here. Dirt, a Love Story. The website is dirtalovestory.com. Thanks for listening to Access Utah today. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Memory Mark, helping families to preserve and relive precious memories that help keep us connected to the people we love. Information at MemoryMark.com. It's time for Utah StoryCorps. Everyday people sharing their story at the StoryCorps recording booth in Vernal during July of last year. Today, Anne Collier shares the story of how she met her husband, Jack, while he was in the Navy in London, England. She was interviewed by their daughter, Bonnie Collier. What was he like when you met him? Cheeky. (laughs) (laughs) When I met him, I had been down to the 242 Club, and this fella was drawing a picture of me. And I was kind of embarrassed because he just kept looking and telling me how good the picture was going and everything. And you didn't know him? No, ben? no, no. And I left. And then a few months later, I was sitting at the club again. Here come this fellow again. And he says, do you know me? I said, no, please leave me alone. So off he went, come back and repeated the same thing. I finally told him, go away. The next day, my sister called me. It was about 12 o'clock in the afternoon. And she said, there's a guy down here, they're having a party, do you want to come? And I said, no. And I could hear him in the background, let me talk to her, let me talk to her. I said, oh, Margaret, was he down at 242 Club last night? Yeah. I said, I can't stand him. She said, I didn't ask you to marry him, just come on down for the party. (laughs) He said, give me the phone. I said, I'll tell you what, I'll come down for a little while, but I'm not going to stay because I've got a date and I am not going to mess it up for you. (laughs) Well, a little while went into four o'clock in the afternoon. (laughs) The next morning, got on the bus and ended up down at the flat. There was a bunch of guys in there still with hangovers and everything. And I asked where Jack was. He said, go down the hallway, first on the left, first door. And I could hear him talking to somebody. And I thought, that sounds like my sister. I could hear him saying, well, what could have happened to her? Then I pushed the door open. I wish I'd have had a picture of him because his eyes got so big. (laughs) But anyway, they were all going to go down to Piccadilly shopping. He asked me if I wanted to go, and I said, no, I can't. i got to go to work. No, no, no. So he talked me into going. Silver-tongued devil. I know. Anyway, it's all going good, and we was having fun. And then he, he says, will you marry me? And I went, sure. Why not? (laughs) We were with some friends, so why not? And I said, hey, guys, we're going to go get married. 
He said, I know somebody that will do it for us. And I said, whoa, wait a minute. I know there's more to this than that. You've got to have your commanding officer's permission, and don't you have to have paper signed? I think he didn't think I knew the rules, but I did, because a lot of girls had been turned down. They could not get married because of something in their family history that had to do with communism. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was sad. But anyway, I said, the next time you come up, we'll do it right. I thought, that'll get him off me back, but it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I waited six weeks before I ever went out again waiting for this fella. He wrote me letters after letter. I mean, I got a book every single other day, 16 pages, and he would call me when he got the chance. Why did you wait for him? I thought you didn't even like him. I didn't, but there was something going on there. You know what I mean? I kind of liked him after that. Huh. And that's why, I guess, yeah. <laughs> These conversations were recorded at the StoryCorps recording booth in Vernal and will be archived at the Library of Congress. Support for this segment of the Utah StoryCorps project is made possible in part by our members and Memory Mark, helping families to preserve and relive precious memories that help keep us connected to the people we love. Information at MemoryMark.com Utah is a production of Utah Public Radio. You can listen to this episode or previous episodes of Access Utah anytime at upr.org, where you can find a link to subscribe to our podcast. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan. Utah Public Radio is a statewide service of the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. The time now is 10 o'clock.